You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and today I sit down with Robbie Kramer. Robbie is the founder of Inner Confidence, where he helps successful men optimize their social and sex lives. And Robbie was somebody that was added on to a previous podcast call that I did sort of last second. And he just added a lot of really interesting and valuable things to the conversation. So I wanted to continue the conversation in this podcast call and and talk to him on a one-to-one basis. Um, For the last 12 years or so, Robbie's traveled the world dating women from all different types of cultures and has set up a remote lifestyle, which as I've interacted with men across the world and across the country, a lot of guys are interested in that and not necessarily because they want to replicate that lifestyle, but at the very least, you know, uh, the curiosity of, well, how are women different across the world? How are they the same? How do I get over my fear of social anxiety? How do I approach a woman? What do I say? Et cetera, et cetera. And Robbie helps um, navigate those waters, which for many men is a minefield. And it's one of the biggest areas of pain in a lot of men's lives that don't necessarily have that inner confidence um, or need to redevelop it. So I'm excited to have him on the program today because he shares a lot of wisdom and, of course, uh, some crazy shenanigans for the uh, for the lifestyle that he's living overseas, and I'm excited to share it with you. So here I am with Robbie Kramer. All right, I'm here with my man, Robbie Kramer. Thank you so much, Robbie, for joining me in uh, all the way from Kiev. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks there for having a, me on again. There is a slight delay, so hopefully we won't talk over each other too much. But uh, yeah, I, I um, had the pleasure of getting to know you a little bit more on a previous podcast call that I just actually published uh, with Liam McRae. And uh, I was like, wow, I want to follow up with just you as well and, and tap into your mind a little bit more about what it is that you're doing and the lifestyle that you're living and uh, you know, some of the coaching that you're doing. So again, I'm excited for this call. There's a lot, I, I feel like you're going to be sharing a lot of wisdom. I know you will be. So um, <laughs> great. Yeah. So first and foremost, uh, let's just give a, a brief overview of who you are, what your background is and uh, you know, some of the shenanigans that you've gotten into. We'll, we'll probably get into that too. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, I've been uh, technically, I guess I've been a professional uh, dating and seduction coach for almost 11 years now, since uh, 12, actually, since 2007, I got into it. And um, I just kind of got into it like I'm sure a lot of other guys did. I picked up a copy of the game way back in the day. Um, I just finished college and, you know, wanted to kind of see what that was all about. And it was the first, the, the first time I realized like, wow, you can actually improve yourself. There's this thing called personal growth, which <laughs> up until that time, I had no idea about. I was just mm-hmm. kind of like going about my business, working at a bank, you know, just graduated college. And so when I stumbled across the game and I kind of dove into personal growth, I was really fascinated. And I was just like a a junkie to, you know, soak up all the information I possibly could and improve my situation and go out and meet girls. So I, um, I approached a million girls. I worked for a few different pickup companies back in the day. Um, They were all teaching like, you know, the old PUA crap, the routines, the gimmicks, all that nonsense. Yeah. Uh, and then I got into more, I don't, I don't know if you want to call it mainstream personal growth, more spiritual sort of stuff. Um, I studied with uh, all sorts of different teachers who were teaching like uh, Eastern sort of methodologies um, and just kind of dove in and, and learned, uh, learned NLP, learned hypnosis, learned a bunch of random stuff like theta healing. Um, and then I guess I kind of compiled it all into a curriculum 
um, about six years later. And in 2000, really 2012, 2013, um, I started a course that I was running with a buddy called uh, the Leverage Program. And I've been basically doing that ever since, um, helping guys become the best version of themselves, helping them get past their fears, um, specifically when it comes to dating and women and relationships, sex. Um, and so I've got different programs and workshops and boot camps that guys can, you know, kind of fly around the world and hang out with me at. Um, I've also do a bunch of crazy trips, um, sometimes in Europe, sometimes in the Maldives, South America. Um, and I've got a, a network of Playboy models. So we do a whole bunch of crazy sort of party trips. Um, so it's been a crazy journey. Uh, I can get into more of that. Uh, guys are usually pretty interested in that whole world. Um, but uh, I guess the main thing for me was um, I was just, you know, a guy who was intimidated and scared of girls. And I wanted to live that lifestyle that like, you know, celebrities had, that rock stars had when it came to, to women and sex and just kind of being free and doing what you want when you want and meeting the women that you really wanted to be with. Um, and I, uh, you know, I'm proud of myself because I've, I've definitely walked that journey and I've gotten to a point now where I'm like, all right, I've, I've been there, done that. Um, and, uh, you know, I've just been really blessed, I guess, to be able to help guys do the same thing because I love my job and it's been uh, it's been a wild ride. So. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, so I, I'm a little I'm curious to know. You started when you were talking about your journey. You said you got into the Eastern philosophy stuff. What what were your influences there? What did you learn when you went down that path? Well, I studied from a really interesting guy by the name of Carl Wolf. Um, he he's been on a few different documentaries um, as far as like UFO sightings and and crazy stuff like that. Um, but he had a, uh, a program called the Authentic University. And basically what he did, he was, it was kind of like a crazy cultish <laughs> sort of uh, situation, but I learned a lot. Um, he had people come in and he would basically have a small group of people, you know, 10 to 20 people. And everyone would sit in a circle and people would give you just the most ridiculous but brutally honest feedback about how you're showing up, who you're being, uh, how you're communicating within the group. And you would hear things that are just like crazy, like someone you don't even know being like, yeah, I don't really trust you. You kind of look like a piece of shit who'd steal all my money or like, just, just <laughs> like what? <laughs> so you just get, you kind of walk into this environment, you just get bombarded yeah. um, with this brutally honest feedback. But it was amazing because you really get to see how you come across. Yeah. And it was one of the few places I had ever experienced anyone being honest with me like that. Um, so I went through his courses and his programs and it wasn't just about the, the honest feedback. I mean, that was kind of the crux of it. He'll, he would put us on videotape and show us all the kind of inauthentic ways we were behaving and coming across to people, um, different exercises. And I've co incorporated a lot of that into my trainings as well. But, um, yeah, yeah I don't know. If it, it, so there's a lot of Eastern aspects to it. He did a lot of uh, tarot card stuff within there, but I wasn't really exactly sure what the Eastern aspects of it were. There was some oming, there was some circling, there was some meditation <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, well, well, yeah, yeah, we'll talk that up to Eastern philosophy. I know a lot of that comes back to, ba to balance, right? And, right. and uh, chakra stuff. Yeah. Yep. Finding, <laughs> regaining your balance. I've done some of those things too before where, you, where you're, yeah, you're in those circles and everybody's giving you that brutally honest feedback. And it's, it's interesting because, um, 
a like you said very rarely do we uh put ourselves expose ourselves to that type of environment where we're even open to getting that type of feedback i mean how think of the average person that goes through their entire life and they don't really know what other people think of them and and it can be quite shocking and quite alarming to know that you're coming across a certain way um but it also i think is helpful to get on the other side of that to go okay i got some really brutal feedback but uh yeah it's for sure and and that's that was kind of the eye-opening thing for me when i got into studying you know women and dating was i had to take a hard look at myself and be like all right why am why aren't women into me? Like, what yeah. am I doing wrong? Cause that there's no other way around it. You know, if you're not getting dates, if, if women aren't interested, it's the way you're being like, it's, yeah. there's, there's no hiding from that. So let's, uh, let's, let's dive into that. Cause um, I know a lot of guys struggle with that. I know I've definitely faced that. Um, and uh, you know, nobody's perfect, um, sure. but, but there are patterns, right? And so what are some of the common things that you see that men are doing that maybe across the board that would be applicable to, to just about any man who's looking to date and, and maybe is having some struggles that are there some common things that you see that men are doing that are frankly, just not attractive to the feminine? Yeah. I mean, the, the basic stuff is appearance based stuff, you know, how you're dressed, your body language, um, your posture, uh, you know, basically like how alpha you are when you move through a space or when you interact with other people, <laughs> women are picking up on this and, and within a millisecond, you know, they've made a decision typically if you're either not an option or they're attracted to you or they're just unsure. Right. Um, but this stuff happens so fast that there's no real faking it. You know, they can, people can size you up in an instant. Um, so the first thing I always work on with people is just make sure we get that easy stuff taken care of. You know, if your body language is, is weak in an area, that's an easy thing to fix, right? It just takes a little bit of time. If your fashion's off, it just takes some time understanding fashion and getting some clothes that fit you better. Um, but just with those little tweaks right there, you can make a huge difference because mm -hmm. if something glaring like that is off, you're just going to be completely, you know, off someone's radar. Like th there's just no girl who's, you know, probably someone you want that's going to give you the time of day if you're dressed like a bum. Um, and if you're, you know, showing a lot of la lack of confidence with your, <laughs> with the way that you're carrying yourself. Um, so that would be the first stuff. Um, and then the, the next stuff is, is what I call social protocol. Social protocol is kind of saying the right thing at the right time, not saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Um, you know, knowing when it's time to leave, uh, knowing when it's time to stay, knowing when it's time to ask for a number or, you know, when it's time to invite a girl back to your place or when you, you know, it, it's all of the little sort of social transactions that happen. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's a, there's a gazillion of them. And what I realized uh, when I was first, you know, a student of this stuff was there was a ton of situations where I just didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> and I see that with my clients a lot. Like, they're, you know, dude, why didn't you ask for a number? Uh, I didn't know she wanted to give it to me. What? You, you couldn't see that? You couldn't read that? Um, so there's tons of these, these situations or options. I guess you could call them, um, well, I, I, I call them social protocol, but these, uh, what? blanking here but uh, opportunities right for, yeah. for protocol where you're either passing or failing um in a sense do so, you have do you, yeah. can you give us a sense of uh, obviously there's millions of different opportunities or experiences or situations where a guy could say this that or whatever but is there a framework that you see that a relationship goes through so that at the very least somebody can know where they are in the interaction and, and the engagement. And again, 
you know, we're talking about things that are intellectual. And so it's not like somebody's going to sit there and be intellectually uh, aware of that. But at the same time, if you don't know, I, I kind of liken it yeah. to sports. You know, I played baseball. When you learn how to swing a baseball bat, if, if you're at the plate in a game and you're thinking in your head, okay, if I do, you're, you're screwed, right? But <laughs> yeah, if you exactly. don't practice and if you don't know what those that, that initial framework is, of the proper fundamentals, you're screwed before you even get started anyway. So can you give us a sense of what those fundamentals are from a, say, 50,000-foot view? Sure. Yeah. And, uh, I like the baseball analogy. I usually use a golf one cause, <laughs> but it's the same thing. If you're, right. if you're trying to think your way through a golf swing, forget it. Yes, you just exactly. have no chance. Right. Um, so in terms of going out there and if, if we're going to use that same analogy, like baseball, right, you've, you've got to spend a lot of time in the batting cages, just getting those reps in. Um, and I kind of liken that to approaching women. You know, you've got to spend a lot of time if you really want to get good at this, um, get it going out there and getting rejected. And it doesn't mean going up to every girl and trying to ask her out. It could simply mean going up to people you don't know and starting a conversation, um, doing social freedom exercises where you intentionally kind of make yourself go out and look like a fool um, to get over this uh, programming we have um, from society that says, you know, if, if, you, if society casts you out, you're dead, right? So social ostracization is like the worst thing in our mind. That means mm -hmm. death, you know? Um, so the first kind of, stage is, is getting past all of those internal fears. Um, and you can do that very quickly. And it, and it becomes a lot of fun. At first, it's terrifying for most people to go out and approach a girl or to do some of these exercises where you intentionally kind of go out and make a fool of yourself. Um, but it makes the hell of a difference. It's night and day. Um, but it, you, that wasn't quite answering your question because you were asking more of like a framework of where you are in an interaction. Right. Um, but uh, I guess, to, are we talking about a relationship or the beginning stages of a relationship when you like just meet a woman? Yeah, or? just in the beginning stages when you want to approach somebody and, and how that interaction goes down. Uh, so like, for example, you see a girl on, on you know, right. walking down the street and you want to go talk to her. Correct. Okay. Um, so for those situations, I always think, you know, obviously if you just walk up to her on a sidewalk or you walk up to her in a coffee shop, um, she's kind of going to know what you're doing. She's going to know you're hitting on her. Right. And if you can just be honest about that and be lighthearted, playful and, and fun about it, then she'll have a good time too. If you're nervous as hell and you're worried about bombing and looking like an idiot, then that's going to come across and she it's going to make her uncomfortable. So in those situations, I usually just kind of call it out. I'll walk up to her and I'll be like, Hey, uh, I had to risk embarrassing the hell out of myself to come over here and, and meet you. I'm Robbie. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. I'll immediately get some sort of reaction. Um, she might, she might like kind of give me like the deer in the headlight look. And I'll, and if, and if I get that, I'll be like, yo, don't worry. Like I'm only one third creepy. I promise. <laughs> or, <else> <laughs> <laughs> um, or she'll just light up like a Christmas tree right then and there. And, and she'll be like, Oh, nice to meet you. And, and you can tell that she's interested right off the bat. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, I've done this all over the world. I've done it, you know, a ton in Eastern Europe, South America, Asia, and you get all sorts of different reactions based on the, you know, the social norms of wherever you are. But I found that in most places that, that direct, honest, and laid back approach works really well. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense too, because it's, it's A, it's authentic. B, it actually gives you a little wiggle room, 
a little margin for error because you're already acknowledging out of the gate. Like I, I might make, I might make a complete ass of myself. And, totally. uh, you know, so uh, if you do, then you're like, ah, I told you so. <laughs> you're just consistent yeah. with that. Uh, um, I risked so. embarrassment and thank you. You gave me it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I mean, it, it, uh, yeah, it, it gives you a little bit of that margin error. That's smart. Um, okay, cool. So got it. So that's sort of first step. So that's what I'll do in, those are my favorite type of approaches because you have the most wiggle room and you have the most uh, leeway in those approaches because women don't get hit on very often in that way. It takes a guy with a lot of balls to do that. And I'm not talking about the construction worker who's cat calling her, right? Mm -hmm. Or the, the guy who's driving by and, and yelling out nice ass, um, you know, to, to genuinely and authentically approach a woman like that, it takes a lot of courage. So right off the bat, most women who have, you know, a, a good level of self-esteem who aren't just like so weird and awkward themselves that they have to run away. And you, you will actually see that quite a bit um, mm -hmm. when you do approach a woman and sh she'll like run away and you'll be like, oh, did I do it wrong? And usually it's just because she has, you know, just no confidence and she's really scared of people and talking to strangers. So you can't really beat yourself up for that. Mm -hmm. But typically the, the better looking a woman is um, and the better she carries herself, the the better this will work. So a lot of times students will be like, well, I want to warm up on like a girl who's not very cute. And I'll be like, you're just going to get a bad reaction. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Go after, go after the ones that, uh, you know, go after your, your dream girls. They'll, they'll respond better. Um, but uh, compared to like a bar or a club um, or online dating, it's just, you're going to get a way better response rate with this sort of thing. Like even guys who are just totally new and terrible at it, will typically go out and, and still maybe succeed 10% of the time. Mm -hmm. And if you're like me and you've done, you know, probably five to 10,000 of these approaches, you'll succeed 30 to 40% of the time, mm -hmm. which still isn't great. You know, it, in baseball, you're, I was going to say, it's good. Batting average in baseball. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <It's> an all <laughs> you're an all-star. You're, you know, you're in the hall of fame if you're yeah. over 300 career. Right. Yeah. Um, but you're never going to be above 500 and, you know, unless you're a celebrity and people recognize you and I don't care how good, look, good looking you are, or how famous you are, it, you know, half the women out there are typically in a relationship. So you can wipe those off the, off the drawing board right away. And then, yeah. you know, even if you're warmed up and feeling really good, at least one out of five of the rest of the girls left is just not going to like you for whatever reason. So <laughs> one, of the th one of the things that I've learned in my, in my little bit of dating experience now, and just for those that are, um, don't know me. So I, I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart. We were married for a long time, couple of, you know, we were together for a couple of decades and it, it's only been now in the last few years that I've kind of been back out and dating and, um, just getting into relationships and getting to meet people and getting to better know myself, et cetera. Um, and, uh, one of the things that I had learned was when I initially went into approaching people and starting to get to know people, there was a mindset that was, it was always like, um, if they reject me, then, you know, something's wrong with me. Right. You kind of mentioned that a second ago. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found was that there are certain type, like there's pockets of people that I'm interested in. There's pockets of people that are interested in me. And just knowing that out of the gate is helpful to know that like, I might find somebody physically attractive and approach them and talk to them. But if we don't have that deeper connection of, of like-mindedness of intellectual stimulation of, you know, connection, then there's going to be something off. And I used to, when I first started, you know, approaching women, I used to thought, think that lack of 
uh, connectivity and, and attraction was because I was lacking in skills or not knowing myself or whatever. But um, I think it's helpful confidence wise to just know that like, even if you are, like you said, even if you're unbelievably amazing, there's still going to be a disconnect with probably the majority of people that you meet uh, because you're just not in sync energetically or intellectually or spiritually or whatever. Totally. Yeah. And that'll come out more on the date as well. Right. You know, when you actually meet up with a person, cause I can't tell you how many girls in the beginning, I was just happy to, to get a date with a hot girl, but, you know, but as I, you know, as I matured, it was, uh, I found that, you know, the older I got and the more I got to know myself better, just the way less often I would click with someone right. just because you know, all of the different life experiences and different sort of personalities out there. And it's, it's exactly true what you said, you know, it's, you can just look at it as it doesn't matter if you get a re rejected, you know, a thousand times, you're looking for, you know, a special someone or a special few people, you know, it only takes one, really, yeah. if you're looking. For it. Um, you and you'll probably meet her a lot. Oh, I was just saying, you'll probably meet her a lot faster like that than you would through online dating. You mentioned story. something in, in our previous call that I wanted to follow up with you on. You said that um, you had approached several what you considered tens, um, were able to have relationship with them, and it wasn't all that it's cracked up to be. And I found that in the masculine journey, we face resistance in, in what we think is success for us in terms of making money, what we face uh, or what we think of um, success in terms of dating women uh, and our health and, and our sense of purpose and legacy, right? Those are all forms of resistance that I find that as I've been on my journey, as I've gotten over peaks, I better understood that, oh, it wasn't what I thought it was kind of a thing. So can you share your experience with approaching, attracting, uh, you know, having relationships with what, in your mind were tens and, and then why it wasn't what you thought it was and how you're on the other side of that resistance and some of the lessons that you learned. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Great question too. Um, it's, uh, it's embarrassing to admit this, but I had the idea in my head from whatever young age up until just maybe a couple years ago that if I could literally find a girl who was my perfect physical description, I would be happy with her forever. Didn't matter her personality. It didn't matter anything. All that mattered is I wouldn't get bored of fucking her. And I'd be happy in the relationship because, you know, I just wouldn't be bored. And um, my experience up until about the age of 33 was, you know, probably 10 to 12 relationships, you know, six months or longer um, that I was, I just ended up bored every time. So I, I thought I was just destined to always like meet a girl, be into her, have things be great. And then me get bored of her and, and then be worried about breaking up with her and breaking her heart and have mm -hmm. to deal with that and then cheat instead. And, and you can imagine all the drama that came from that. Sure. So eventually I, uh, I was able to, I don't know, put myself in a position where I met uh, this girl who was, you know, in my opinion, my perfect 10 and we started dating and then everything was awesome. And then she stopped wanting to have sex with me. And <laughs> then I was like, fuck, I haven't experienced this before. Yeah. This is worse than the other thing. <laughs> you know, this, what the fuck do I do now? <laughs> um, so I couldn't have that. So we broke up. And then I repeated that same exact situation two more times with other girls that I considered tense. 
right? Um, up until about two years ago. Um, and I had this, you know, huge meltdown at Burning Man of all places where, <laughs> you know, one of, the, one of these perfect tens uh, ended up banging my buddy in my RV and Ooh. like just <laughs> maximum, maximum drama. It, you know, it's, it's the burn. So that's, that shit <laughs> <is> kind of expected <laughs> for all the burners out there. Um, but crazy shit happens at Burning Man and that was one of them. Yeah. Um, but then I, you know, I started to kind of take an inventory like, okay, what's, what was going on here? First, I'm dating these girls. I'd get bored of them. Now I'm thinking it's because of their looks. Now I'm dating these girls who are amazing and amazing looking and then having just a terrible time in the relationship and then eventually them wanting to, you know, they're wanting nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took a look at how I was being and I realized that once I felt like I got my dream girl, I felt like the game was over and I could just basically chill out and not have to do anything ever again. Mm-hmm. And whatever I did to attract them, all the, the ways of being that, you know, got me them in the first place, I would just kind of shut that off. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I just became this kind of like needy beta um, supplicating dude. And eventually they, they kind of like anyone would, they, they lost attraction for that. Um, and, and that's really when I, I realized that I think that the whole nature, the way relationships are set up is kind of for this to happen. Um, and it happens to so many guys um, where they, you know, they meet their quote unquote dream girl and then everything's good. And then all of a sudden after a while, it just kind of falls apart and they're left thinking like what happened, like where everything seemed okay. And what it kind of boils down to is that once you get comfortable and you stop kind of, you know, being aware of what's going on, you'll start to continually fail women's tests. And they're not testing you because they're trying to, you know, uh, find a better guy or, or they're hypergamous or all this kind of red pill junk that people may be aware of listening. It's not because women are evil or anything. It's just, it's just the nature of the feminine is mm-hmm. to test the masculine. Mm-hmm. And if you continually fail those tests, um, you know, eventually the, they're going to lose attraction for you in the relationship. And if you're not aware of those tests and you're not kind of on your game and always doing what you need to do to become a better version of yourself. Um, and there, you know, there is no, there's no break, you know, guys think like, Oh, I want to get to this point and then I can chill out. That just doesn't happen. Like you're, you always need to be improving and, and becoming, you know, and, kind of, you know, showing up as, as the guy that she fell in love with. Otherwise, you know, odds are that it won't end up working out. So when I, when I got in order, uh, let let me ask you really quick, if I could interrupt, how does that coincide with the natural development of a relationship? Not, you know, obviously relationships start out with that sort of electric infatuation stage, but then as it matures, you get beyond sort of that little honeymoon phase and and it develops into a more mature, deeper love where it's not um, built at least entirely on top of this like electric attraction because the the polarity is so strong between the masculine and feminine. So how does, you know, and, and, and that's a shit ton of pressure to be constantly thinking I have to be uncomfortable because comfort equals, you know, she's going to leave. So I have to be uncomfortable and constantly, you know, improving myself. And I also know women deal with the same thing. Like, is he going to leave me? Is he going to cheat on me? She's beautiful. You know, there's all these beautiful women, all these Instagram models. Is he going to leave me? And, And there's, there's that unsettledness there too. So how do you deal with 
the reality of being a human being that you're going to be comfortable at times or uh, for lack of a better term, not in your alpha a game uh, right. to where you navigate through that. What's the, what, well, the good news is <laughs> the good news is, is you kind of, you know, you, if you, if things in the relationship are good and they have been good for a while, right. You have this huge kind of uh, pool of, <laughs> of positives, right. Mm-hmm. And to drain that tank will take a really long time. So it's not like, you know, if, if you make a little mistake here or there, you're screwed, right? Um, it, this, this sort of thing will develop over, it can take years for it to happen, right? Yeah. If, if the relationship starts off really strong and things are good. Um, you know, so it's not like this doom or gloom sort of thing. And it's fun to always remember that, hey, she might test you and you got to be on your game. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got to, you know, be able to see these things coming at you and you have to be able to like, okay, is she testing me right now? Or is, you know, or is this some sort of other thing happening? Um, so if you, if you frame it in a way where it's fun and it's exciting, it can take the mundane out of the relationship a little bit, yeah. right? And it could, you know, you just, you, you won't necessarily see them as like the old ball and chain. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that, that I've been kind of really like questioning now is just the, just the framework of relationships, monogamy, polygamy, everything in between. I've been reading this book called Sex at Dawn. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've um, heard of it. I haven't read it. Uh, it's, a, it's a very, I'm about a quarter of the way through it. And so far, uh, the thesis is that our closest, uh, our closest primate relatives, the bonobos, live in basically <laughs> hypersexual societies. But, where everyone's a, fucking- is that a monkey? Bonobo's Bonobo a monkey, monkey. Yeah. Okay, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> we're more similar to them than chimpanzees, which is oh, interesting. what most people think we're similar to. But, right. but they, live, they basically live as humans would if we didn't have uh, religion and all the reasons why we've been told monogamy is the way to go. Okay. Um, they live in you know, hypersexual cultures where it's kind of like foraging um, sorts of uh, egalitarian societies where everyone's banging everyone. Hmm. Um, you know, you might have a, a primary partner who you're closer to, but, you know, picture a group of like 20 adults and, you know, 10 kids, everyone's just kind of having sex with most of the people there and the kids are raised by everyone. And, and I've actually been living in that sort of construct here in Kiev, um, with uh, a, a couple buddies of mine and then a bunch of models that kind of come in and out through our social circle. Mm-hmm. And it's just very normal for everyone to just kind of hook up and have sex with everyone. Um, there's not a lot of jealousy going on and most people aren't really looking for a real serious relationship um, or they're already married with kids and they kind of have that. And it's been a really fascinating experience because the typical drama and jealousy and negative emotions that I'm used to in a traditional dating environment um, have kind of stopped uh, existing here. Hmm. So I'm not sure if that's the solution. <laughs> it's a pretty aggressive sort of thing to be like, oh yeah, the solution is just be in a, you know, that sort of society. Um, but it does bring up interesting questions about that sort of thing. And, and the way that I see it is I have a girlfriend now um, and I'm open and honest with her that I'm, I'm not interested in monogamy, but she is my queen for, you know, that's kind of the language I use with her. And I'm committed to always making sure that she has an amazing time with me and she's welcome to do whatever she wants as well. Um, And, you know, if she wants to hook up with someone, that's go ahead. 
Um, mm. So it, you know, that's been my, my experience. Obviously, everyone has their own sort of different take on that. And, um, but I've found that just with the non-attachment, um, I've been able to deal a lot better with my own sort of issues around jealousy. Um, always, I'm always on my, you know, always trying to improve myself because I'm always kind of out there looking as well. Yeah. I, I, know, I know that, um, yeah. I, I know that, that, um, I, I admire your courage to, to live that and to, to real reveal that. I know a lot of people probably have issues with that and um, sure. it's not a, a socially acceptable norm, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, but you did mention that, that this was a group of people who weren't, who, who were, weren't looking for quote unquote something serious. Um, but you've also mentioned that you have a girlfriend too. Like how do I understand the lack of attachment and how that yeah. can create uh, or can diffuse yourself of jealousy and envy and, and all of those insecurities, et cetera. But is there also a cost to where you're not experiencing deeper connection, deeper commitment is, you know, I, I, it's a genuine question. Yeah. I, I don't mean to be judgmental on that. I, no, I'm not at all. Really curious. That's actually what I've been trying to experience. I've been trying to go as deep as possible. Um, with all of the women in my life and seeing kind of how that plays out um, and using just brutal honesty from the beginning um, and, and also meeting the type of girls that are in, that are interested in, in exploring that, right? Um, if you're meeting girls in the late twenties when their biological clock is ticking, they're probably not going to be that interested in exploring that sort of thing. Mm. But if you meet uh, someone who's, you know, potentially divorced a little bit older, or maybe she has a couple kids and she wants to try something alternative um, in her late thirties, early forties or, or older, that could be great. Or girls in their early twenties can be great. Um, so that's just kind of been what I've been experimenting with recently after doing the monogamy sort of thing and the cheating for so many years and just basically failing at that over and over um, and dealing with all the drama and the heartache that comes from it. Right. So it's uh it's just basically just another experiment <laughs> on my journey. But I, I have found that with the, with the framework of the brutal honesty um, and not lying and, um, you know, not, and, and when, when I know that they're off doing their thing, but just reminding myself, like, you know, doesn't mean anything about you um, dealing with the jealousy as it comes up and helping them deal with their jealousy as well. Yeah. I found that the relationships can actually go a lot deeper when you talk about this stuff that people don't want to talk about, you know, when you, when you bring up and you hash out some of this, this crap that most people don't want to hash out um, and most people wouldn't talk about in a traditional relationship, if they found that they cheated, they'd be like, all right, bye. Um, I found that you can really get to know someone on a much deeper level and have much more interesting, stimulating interactions um, without just kind of going into the mundane, you know, you kind of after a few years you feel like you know the person and just kind of you know get bored i guess yeah yeah um i i think that there's a a case for if you were to look at this even from a purely secular standpoint right i think that there is a a case for religion from in um in an evolutionary sense for the human race because um i think once you do add kids to that situation 
there is tremendous value in the stability of a mother and father figure that are, that's consistent. And there's Agreed. a mountain yeah. of, of, of evidence that would support that. There's the saying that says, you know, so goes the family, so goes the culture or something like that. You look mm-hmm. at, you look at societies where um, I know I have some uh, uh, friends that invest a lot of time and energy and money into Peru and the, the culture down there is a very hookup culture and the, the family unit's kind of broken and their society's a mess because of it. And then you look at other cultures mm-hmm. where the family unit is, is upheld and, and as a standard and they tend to thrive. So again, it's, I, I don't, this to me isn't a, 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 doesn't have to be a religious argument. I think you can just look at evidence and say that there's, there is something there that, that reveals some stability and that's, uh, you know, valuable to, to a bringing a, a new yeah, it's funny. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I grew up in a Reformed Jewish household um, and my parents are still happily married for uh, 39 years. Uh, my, my aunts and uncles are all still married. Uh, big family, lots of cousins, never a divorce. Uh, and then I'm this guy off in Kiev, you know, <laughs> doing this crazy shit. Um, so, do they so, know, by the way? Are they cool with this or what do, you, yeah, what do they say? They, they know. They think it's they think it's great. Um, they're, they're very supportive. (laughs) They've always been. Um, but I come from a a traditional Jewish family. My dad's a doctor, um, you know, traditional Jewish mom who's nagging me and, you know, making sure I'm, uh, (laughs) my, (laughs) you know, eating my vitamins and so on and so forth. Um, and, uh, real real quick, do you know who, uh, Gary Goldman is by any chance, the comedian? No, uh, dude, you got to look him up. Some of the stuff that he talks about because he's Jewish and he talks about his Jewish upbringing and, and how he, you know, oh, what was it? He said, he, like, he said, one of the greatest ironies is, is breakaway rims in the YMC in the, in the Jewish YMCA uh, basketball <laughs> court. He's like, what, what, you know, five, seven Jewish guys ever broken the rim on a, on a basketball court. But he's like, but that's so Jewish to like, think that that's a possibility you know oh yeah that's you never know right you know? <laughs> i was just gonna say that's what he says he says his mom goes you never know gary you, you never, never know, know. <laughs> that's it that's, that's such a jewish thing you never know yeah. <laughs> you never uh, know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. and i'm the uh, i'm almost 37 uh and i definitely want kids and um i'm I, my biological clock is ticking you know mm-hmm. like i'm mm-hmm. i've I'm, my girlfriend is 21 and it's the first time I've ever been in a situation where I'm like, Hey babe, uh, you, know, <laughs> you, you want some kids soon? She's like, ah, I'm only 21, but yeah. you know, so, <laughs> um, I'm getting to experience it from the other side. And I honestly don't know, like, you know, I, I don't think I'll want to be doing most of this crazy nonsense if I have kids. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and I agree with you hundred percent that when you're raising a family and, the stability is, is very important. Um, I think, I think that there's, there's, and again, I I don't mean this to come across as judgmental. I hope it's not, I'm wanting to legitimately explore this, but I I feel like if you're in a place where you've experienced such, um, you you know, if if your girlfriend is a allowed to sleep with other guys, or maybe she, let's say she sleeps with another guy and it's like, I like him better and I'm not going to have sex with you anymore. Right. Um, mm-hmm. that, that it develops. If you do that enough, you develop a, 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 like a callousness, like just like you would on your hands. Right. If you're, if you're working with tools all day, you develop those calluses to kind of harden your hands to, so you don't feel the pain as much. Is it possible mm-hmm. that you get to a point where you deal with so much of that, that you kind of shrug your shoulders? God, it sucks. But you know what? 
I'm, I'm banging, you know, five other girls or I've got these great connections with these other girls. It doesn't really hurt that much. Is it possible that you don't, that, that you lack the deeper connection, you know, that you don't get to experience a, a deeper connection that, that you get Good if, question. if you didn't have that? Yeah. Uh, I've thought about that before, but I've never, um, uh, the, the, the callous analogy is, is amazing. That's perfect. Um, well, the interesting thing that's happened is I've, the girls who have basically, who I've, I mean, I've been doing this now for about two and a half years. Um, and every time that I've set up a relationship like this, right. And we've started off as open and, you know, the intention is to stay open. Um, when things have been good, there's been very little interest in really either of us in exploring a lot of other people. Like we'll go to occasional, like, you know, burning man orgy or a sex party or something like that. Um, but the desire for me to go out and sleep with other women is purely like uh, just a, a very sexual sort of um, visual sort of thing, like wanting to go to a strip club or wanting to jerk off to porn. Mm -hmm. And the second I do it, I just miss my girlfriend and it makes me feel so much closer to her. Mm -hmm. And almost all of my girlfriends that I've tried this with, they, they usually don't, don't even want to sleep with other guys. They're like, Oh, okay. That's cool that I can, but they, rarely ever do or if they do they come back and they say the same exact thing like you know oh it was cool it was fun it was sexy but like it wasn't a connection and i just it made me fall deeper in love with you yeah. so that's what i've really experienced from it and um since those devastating breakups that i mentioned earlier on the call um and so far so good with with that stuff like i haven't had to deal with anything really overwhelming or, or there's never been a situation where I've left a girl for another girl because I liked her more or because she was better in bed um, or vice versa. It's always been, you know, for whatever reason, the relationship didn't work out, but it wasn't because of infidelity. Right. It was because we just weren't a good fit to begin with. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, we're such a, we're in such an interesting space when it comes to relationships. Um, you know, I, I think the sexual revolution of the sixties birth control, I think is, you know, if you look at, if you look at the, the history of the human race and, and the blip that we now have where women have birth control and how that has dramatically affected their approach to sex, um, oh, yeah. is, is, is fundamentally changing relationships today. And so I think that we are still, even though that was all the way back in the sixties, like we're still just two generations into like what kind of impact. And frankly, even in the sixties, you know, there still was a lot of very traditional conservative um, of those values, but like we're in this new space where there's opportunity everywhere, especially for an attractive woman. It's like, she's, yeah. you know, 10 seconds away from a well, thousand options. I'll tell you a quick story. And so the, the girl I recently, she was my girlfriend from last August until October. Um, and she was a, an up and coming model. Uh, I met her on a modeling trip, a playboy shoot, and we hit it off. Um, and you know, fell in love. And then a couple months later, she got an offer to start modeling with like the biggest uh, modeling agency in Russia. She's Russian. Um, and I knew that she would go and take this job and probably start banging the head photographer guy. And that would be the end of the relationship. And I knew that was going to happen kind of from day one because she was so young and just so obsessed with her career. Um, and it was okay with me because I wasn't really, you know, uh, in the beginning, at least with her anyways, I was like, yeah, this 
probably going to happen. I, I was not expecting anything to, to really develop, even to develop any sort of serious feelings with that. Um, but it was interesting that I kind of, I, I saw it from the beginning and then it happened exactly like that. She went and that, and that was that, <laughs> you know, now they're together and she's got an extra 2 million Instagram followers, which is her dream. So on one hand, I'm like, what the fuck? And then on the other hand, I'm like, well, that's what she was up to. You know, her career yeah. was, was number one. And ha- after having enough of those experiences, um, just to kind of finish my story from earlier, I realized I didn't kind of wrap it up. It was that, just, you know, this idea that you can find someone that you're happy with forever just because of their looks is just so insane and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really made me take a, a look and be like, actually, it's, you know, this will sound obvious and retarded, but yeah, it's, it's always a personality and it's how well do you click with this person and how well do your values line up? Um, and after, I guess I just needed to go out and, and have a ton of those experiences to realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is obvious uh, on one level, yeah. but um, it's, there's a clear need, even even as obvious as that is, there's a clear need for, for men. And I know most men would probably get this right away. I think some women might, well, why, right? But like most men are stimulated by the visual and they want to have that physical beauty. And we, we talked about the, the sort of human need for that. The proliferation, pro- proliferation of our species depends on, you know, men spreading their seeds. So there is, there is a design in that. But... Um, as obvious as the connection needs to be on a personal level, on that inner level, I think it's also just as obvious that there needs to continue to be that, that physical attraction too, because men are going to want to have sex, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that I've been trying to, I guess, come to, to terms with is, I mean, as I'm aging, I don't really feel my sex drive slowing down a whole lot. Um, I want a family, but I don't know, you know, it would be very difficult for someone like me to, uh, to say no <laughs> to all the endless options and all the abundance that's around. Because, uh, you know, I've, I've basically done everything in my power in the last 10 years to create that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to just to be like, okay, no, I'm going to be monogamous. Um, I just don't know if that's possible. So yeah. that's maybe one... Um, I guess one warning sign if you if you do <laughs> you know get to a crazy level of this stuff you might not be able to go back from it. Um, yeah, that's that's actually really interesting because um, I I do think that well I, I do know this I have two kids and mm-hmm. um, the second that you have a child your entire perspective changes dramatically and there's now this new level of love that is obviously not sexual it's it's there's a deep spiritual love for your child and the energy that then gets poured into wanting to provide and protect and love and nurture this child uh opens you up to a a new spiritual maturity that um i i don't think you have prior to having those kids and obviously that that perspective change changes, I think, how you think of a partner in that situation sure. and um, wanting to best provide for that child. So I think that that does change things a little bit, although, you know, the child grows up and, and then you're still, you know, right. <laughs> you know, you, so, and, and as men, I, you know, I had a, I had lunch one time with my grandfather and he was kind of a man's man. And uh, at the time he was 96 years old and we're having lunch 
And he's like, Pete, I just want you to know, you can come to me and ask me anything. I've, I've been through it all. I've seen it all. I've, Great Depression, you know, mm-hmm. ups, downs. He was married for 55 years before his, his my grandfather, my grandmother, sorry, passed. And um, which then, by the way, he got remarried and married, uh, was in a marriage for when he was in his 70s, he got married and he was married for over, I think it was like 23, 24 years before he ended up passing on again. But wow. um, uh, the one thing that he said, though, as we were having this lunch, he's like, I'll, I've been through it all. I've seen it all. I can answer any question. And he sat there for a second. And he was chewing a sandwich. I remember him looking up and he goes, there is one question I don't know the answer to. And I was like, what's that? He's like, I don't know what age it is when you stop having interest in having sex. <laughs> so here I am, this 96-year-old guy. And I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, check, please. You know, let me get out of here. But on the other hand, I'm like, that's awesome. Like, I love that's the fucking fact awesome. that he's still... Yeah you know, trying to get some asset. You hear about that in, in the nursing homes, right? Oh, it's, heard from what I heard, it's like a fuck fest. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, a, it's an STD, you know, smorgasbord being oh passed my. around there. I, yeah, I, I visited my grandmother a few times. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, Grandma, you're glowing. What, what's going on here, you know? The guys mm-hmm. were hitting on her. We went to the little cafeteria, and they come up in their walker, and they're like, hey, you know, I was like, Grandma, you okay with that? She's, and she kind of like rolls yeah. her eyes. He... It's, uh, you know, it never goes away. Yeah, it, I was uh, really enjoying your story there because I also had a similar sort of grandfather figure and passed on before my grandmother, but she basically became like a, a smitten little like, you know, teenager after and she met this new guy and, um, you know, they had an amazing relationship until she eventually passed away. Yeah. But seeing her, seeing that like little, it was so awesome to see her in that, in that energy because you know i'd only ever seen her with my grandpa and they they had an amazing relationship but when he passed she was just so sad and it's like she got a new lease on life you know yeah and um my that's exactly what yeah. my grandfather said after his my grandmother died he's he was starting to die like you could see he was starting to shut down and when he met my my next grandmother his next wife um he credits her with saving his life because she brought mm-hmm. life back into him. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, I, what, what we're talking about in the lifestyle that you're living, it's, it's not the social norm by any stretch, but at the same time, it's, um, there is vitality in that. Like we all want to feel that electricity and that passion and that like connectivity with, with somebody or multiple people or whatever in our lives to feel alive. Like if you're not feeling that, you're not yeah. feeling, you don't feel alive. Um, totally. so I, under, I understand, you know, and I think you're actually, you, you at least have the balls to live the life that I think a lot of guys at least fantasize about or think about, or what if, you know, they're curious. Right. But I also, I, I'm a little bit on the fence too, because I, I love the idea of going deep, like with one person and, yeah. and, um, I, I'm a guy too. Like I, I get, I get the lifestyle that you're living and there's, there's definitely that part of me too. That's like, fuck yeah, that'd be awesome. Right. But, um, but at what cost, you know, what, and that's kind of, that's why I've been asking some of these questions. Cause I'm like, what is the, is it a slippery slope? Is it something where, like you said, you start to go down that path and you go, shit, I've, I've experienced this level of abundance and sexual energy and fantasy that I don't know if I ever want to give that up versus, like I said, I, you know, I was married to my high school sweetheart and we got to places spiritually that I don't think we would ever gotten to had we had you know but i don't know i mean i haven't lived it so i don't i I can't say for certain but um there is something that's appealing to me to go deep with one person and 
and have that sort of radical commitment to where, um, you know, I, I don't want to say anything that would upset my ex-wife, but I will say this. <laughs> One of the things that really worked for us was, um, was that attraction part of our relationship. And, and when things were a little bit off, it was, and I also said this to her, I'm like, this was a, it's a very healing part of the relationship. If you're able to come back intimately and sexually and, and connect on that level, it, it does have healing powers in other parts of your relationship. Now it's not going to sustain something that's fundamentally broken. If you're not, if you're not in sync in other areas, but um, if you do have that physical attraction, it, it can often elevate and revitalize and rejuvenate an otherwise stale relationship. So, you know, I think there's tremendous value in having that attraction with the other person, but uh, is it sustainable? I don't know. You know, there's gotta be those other fun. Yeah. It's uh well, they, I think I learned from David Data, who's a spiritual teacher who talks about masculine and feminine. I think we discussed him a little bit on our last uh, call, yep. but, you know, he said something that always stood out to me, which is, you know, the fundamental reason for the intimate relationship is the intimacy. It's the only relationship, you know, the relationship you have with your sexual partner is the only one of its kind. You can get love from a pet or your dad or your mom or your brother or sister, but you can't get that intimacy from anyone except your partner. Yeah. Um, and if that part is off, obviously, it's really difficult for the rest of it to be on. Um, and I guess the thing that I've taken away is, is I've gotten to a point where it's very easy for me to, to kind of read the situation and, and see where it's, you know, potentially going to be off or see if we're in, in the first place, a good match. Um, and I am looking for someone to go really deep with as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I kind of hope that I could have the mentality of like, I want to go so deep with this person. I have no interest in other women. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, cause that would be easy. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> you yeah. know, like if I had a genie and a, and a wish, I, that's kind of like, I, I might even wish for that. Well, um, I think, I think so that's a huge, I think that's a huge, I, I was talking about the resistance before. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think what you've lived and, and now that you're on the other side of that and you know exactly what that is and, and the, the moments of, you know, peak ecstasy or whatever, but also the, the, like the letdowns and the, yeah, it's, it's fleeting. Like the fact that you're on the other yeah. side of that, I think gives you the ability to go deep with somebody in a, in, in a longer term relationship because you know that, that this lifestyle, while it might be fun, is not necessarily long-term sustainable for that deeper connection. I mean, I think if you did find that right person, um, you're not going to be questioning. You know what I mean? You're not going to be like, oh, yeah. I wonder what that was like. You know what it's like. So, right. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it could just be sometimes I, I like to think of just chalking it up to, I've always been kind of a, uh, a like a, a kid. I was held back in, in uh, you know, preschool or whatever. My mom always said, you know, you're just a little kid and you need more time to play. So, <laughs> sometimes I think I'm just really immature and, uh, you know, and one of these days I'll, uh, I'll grow out of it or something, but, uh, yeah, it's honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know how you are on time. Do you have, do you have a little bit more time to chat? Yeah, I'm okay. I got another okay. like 20 minutes or so. Okay, cool. I wanted to ask you, um, the, the lifestyle that you're living and forget the sex parties and, and the orgies and all that for just a second, but just sure, the sure. fact that you're living, uh, abroad, um, you're doing what you want to do. You have uh, some sense of financial freedom in your life. Let's talk about really quick about the, the Airbnb strategy that you developed. So um, anybody that's interested in creating that sort of free lifestyle to explore and travel, 
can model what you're doing. Give us uh, an overview and then let's dive in a little bit to how to do something like that. Sure. Well, I was, um, you know, I basically built my, my dating coaching business uh, up until about 2015 and things were going great. Um, and, you know, I was kind of chugging away at it. And uh, I got a little burned out and I was traveling through Europe, came back to New York where I was living at the time. And we had stayed in some Airbnbs, me and my buddy, while traveling through Europe. And we're like, oh, this is an interesting idea. Uh, maybe we'll, you know, list our place in New York and give it a try. And we were able to make our entire monthly rent in 10 nights. Um, so we were basically making, you know, between two and a half and three times our rent as we continued to rent out the place. And, you know, the returns, that's just crazy, right? Yep. <laughs> so if you're looking from a mathematical sort of, you know, what you can expect ROI. on a financial return, yeah, ROI. So we just basically use the profits to get more places. And within about a year, we had five places um, in LA and New York. And the business was bringing in like almost half a million dollars a year just in renting places and subletting them on Airbnb. Um, Now, if you do it now, there's all sorts of regulations and, you know, cities are cracking down on it. There's more competition. There's not as much money to be made, but it's still great. Um, especially if you're a young guy and you want to travel because if you want to travel and you have the flexibility, what, what you can do is basically what I did is I got a place in New York. I got a place in LA. I got a place in Miami. And those were the three cities that I wanted to spend all my time in, in the U S and when I wasn't at one of those houses, I'd be renting it out. And even if I'd spend a third of the time there over the year, I'd still make money on the place. So and rather I'm sorry, than paying did, did rent, you say that I would, did, Oh, you're paying rent. Okay, so mm-hmm. uh, these are all rentals or are these financed? Did you buy these? These were these... all rentals. Okay, got it. These were all rentals to begin with. Eventually, okay. we built up enough cash where we started buying places. Okay. Um, but in the beginning, it just doesn't make sense financially to you know put down 100K when that same 100K could get you 10 units that you're, you know, basically you just need first month's rent security deposit and furniture or if you can find furnished places you know the startup costs for uh you know for a unit a lot of the time can be less than 10 grand but if you're buying a million dollar place which isn't that big of a place you're going to need at least a hundred thousand to put down yeah so the the capital required for the business it just really doesn't make sense to buy places if you can rent and sublet makes sense unless you have a ton of capital to, to, you know, put out. But, um, so we, we built that up and pretty soon we had all this, you know, passive income coming in. And, um, I started traveling more, spending a lot of time abroad, South America, Eastern Europe, as I mentioned, and really just exploring, um, different cultures and women and, and exploring the world. Um, and I recently even set up an Airbnb here in Kiev because this is an interesting emerging market. Um, so now to, you know, to run the business and do it successfully, you, you know, there's more competition, as I mentioned, um, but there's still tons of great markets for it all over the world. And uh, you're basically running a little hotel operation and it doesn't take rocket science. There's nothing hard about it, right? It's um, the, the real kind of bread and butter is automating and uh, systematizing everything mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, you're running a hotel, right? Or a bunch of mini hotels and there's tons of bullshit you would have to deal with you know, right. from people, people leaving, you know, <laughs> a SIM card in your apartment and then wanting it back or, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> to someone, you know, flushing a tampon down the toilet. Now you got to 
you know, deal with plumbers. So there's a million headaches that can come up in the business. But if you can systematize and automate it, then it's a pretty cool little business that allows you to travel and, and kind of, you can get a place in any city you want and have a place when you, when you go there and stay there, if it's a, you know, somewhere that you plan on coming back to a lot. Yeah. Very so cool. for the flexible nomadic, you know, vagabond types, it's a, it's a really cool strategy that I have a lot of my clientele utilize because, you know, when, especially if you're, if you're looking to build passive income and travel and meet girls from different cultures, it kind of, you know, kills uh, those birds. It, it, to me, it's the, uh, it's not even the vagabond thing. It's like every man should go on an adventure and there's so much value that comes out of traveling and experiencing other cultures in a general sense, but then obviously connecting and meeting and having relationships with women from different perspectives, different cultures, et cetera, too. Like, it's, it's the ultimate wanderlust that I think uh, a lot of guys should go through to just experience and to find themselves, right? Figure out what they want, yeah. what they don't want, what works, what doesn't. And uh, so, I, you know, I think that's a killer strategy. The hero's journey. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Man, <laughs> yes. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Where you've got, uh, you've got a website that teaches people how to do that, right? Or a product that walks them through. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah. What, I take them through the whole, at? uh, um, I sent you the link for it. It's, it's called a passive income profit system. Let me find the actual thing for it here. The URL. Yeah. It's a little bit long. I need to, uh, I need to shorten it up. And you've got your, your coaching stuff too. I want to get the, want to let people know about what the URL is for that. If you're interested, if they're interested in that. Sure, sure. So if you go to, this will kind of be a mouthful, but um, <laughs> maybe we can put the link below. But if you go to robbyk.clickfunnels.com slash passive dash income, <laughs> you can find the page. Got but, it. Uh, I, can, I can get a tiny URL somewhere for sure. Yeah, I'll put a... Uh... I'll add a link to this uh, on my website. Um, yeah, you should just get a domain and, and point it at that. <laughs> yeah, we, I don't know. My, uh, my marketing guy is, I don't know, not on the ball, he's, I guess. He's <laughs> he's, we did. He's, we did. <laughs> he's over in Kiev the, sleeping with the Playboy models. Get the guy yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, he's in London and he's engaged, okay. so he has no... Oh, well. uh, <laughs> there you go. He has no excuse. Um, no, but we did a um, kind of like a a beta version of the course um, at the end of 2018 and um, it was a, it was a hit. Everyone, you know, enjoyed it and they're starting to set up their businesses and having success. So we'll probably open it up um, probably in the next few months. Okay. Cool. Uh, And then if somebody's interested in the, in the coaching that you do, the confidence development, personal development, where can they go for that? That's easier. Just go to innerconfidence.com. Ah, uh, I yeah. Gold star for the marketing guy on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got that one right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and uh, and you can find that there. Oh, also, no, maybe he did get it right. If you go to innerconfidence.com slash passive income training, passive dash income dash training, you can also find the Airbnb. Ah, uh, okay. No, okay. I'm the I'm the idiot saving here, grace. Right? Okay, yeah. good deal. All right. <laughs> well, Interconfidence.com for 
for everything. Yeah. Awesome. Robbie, dude, I feel like we just started talking. I have like, uh, I want, I want to keep talking to you and finding out more about all this. Yeah, stuff. man. I'm curious uh... about it, but, uh, I know you need to roll. So dude, thanks for your time today. I uh, really appreciate it. And, uh, maybe we can do another call in the relative near future. Yeah. I love that. Thanks so much. It's been uh, great having me on the show, Peter. All right, man. Take care. Talk to you. See ya.